Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. How much is gained in chasing a goal even when you don't make it, right? Like you learn something about yourself. uh, You learn something about that goal, whether it serves you or it doesn't, or if it puts you on a different path. So it is okay to have a goal and let it go on the journey if it's no longer serving you, as long as you reflect back and think, man, you know, what did I learn in this process and where do I want to go next? So it's not being a quitter. In this case, I think there's, you know, a lot of of, uh, information on this topic, but it's kind of quitting to win in that case. Like if you're running up against a wall over and over and over again, you got to find a different a different way to get around it, right? Is there another door? Is there a window you got to climb over? You got to run around? Like going in a singular direction at an outcome-based goal, as as you described, like you have to leave yourself open to finding essentially unique ways to get there. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Emily, welcome to the Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. I am so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I found out about you and uh, by way of your publicism, the thing that caught my attention was that you're the first female general manager of a AAA baseball team in nearly 20 years. And as I told you before we hit record, I had to go do my research on what AAA baseball was and learned that you are basically a badass and like the CEO of a baseball team. But before we get into you know, your career, your work and all of that, uh, I want to start by asking where in the world did you grow up and what impact did that end up having on your life and your career? I love that you started with that question because it had such a tremendous impact on my life and career. I grew up in a small town in Illinois called Lake Villa. 3,300 people lived in my town. Three towns combined went to one high school, uh, which gave us a good science class of 500 um, in my graduating class. I was a small town girl who lived just far enough away from Chicago that I had the allure of the city without ever getting to be there. <laughs> so I had this very rural upbringing where I wanted more. I loved, you know, my my time with, with my family and um, I'm the middle child of two brothers. I played a lot of sports growing up. 
but I definitely lived that small town lifestyle and I wanted big city. I had big dreams with zero mentors, no one to really aspire to be. I mean, the career paths I saw around my town were um, essentially teachers or counselors or coaches. And, and I didn't know what that meant for me to have a, have a larger vision, but it was very fuzzy and unclear. I was lucky enough to get the help of my high school counselor who was like, hey, you're in the top of the class. You can get into University of Illinois. The early application deadline is now. Come to my office. Let's fill out your application. Like this is how, this is how blind I was. I didn't even know where to start. I knew I wanted to go to college, but not what to do. So thank goodness for those people in our lives that helped put us on the right path. And so I uh, filled out the application, wrote my essay, sent it in. And before homecoming that year, I got my acceptance letter in Illinois. And I was only a few from uh, my high school who, who got in. And when I went away to college, I literally cried in my dorm room for the first month of school because I was so homesick. And I was just like, not even a small fish in a big pond. I was a minnow in the ocean. Like I thought I was smart and great at sports. And then all of a sudden I'm at this D1 school and my neighbors across the hall in my dorm room are already sophomores because they got the high scores on their AP tests. So I was like humble pie every day, homesickness, just I was miserable when I was supposed to be living this great college life. And it was one day that I realized like, Emily, got to get it together because this is part of your, this is your dream. This is your chance to expand your life. You need to start behaving like the person you want to become. And that's when I really started to realize like, I need to become a more confident person. I needed to define what my goals are in this new section of my life. And I need to show up every day like the person that I, my future self would be happy to be. And so that really was just such a pivotal moment so early in my life, but really changed me forever. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll come back to that because, um, I, you know, I, the reason I started with that question was because I watched your TED talk and I knew that. And I was like, this is why I want to understand this. But uh, I'm always fascinated by people who grow up in, in small towns, particularly with such a small population. Uh, so tell me about the social dynamics and what you learn about human relationships in a situation. It seems like everybody knows everybody because I always wonder if small towns are accurately portrayed on television. So, you, you know, you see a show like Virgin River or, you know, One Tree Hill, you know, whatever yeah. it is. It seems like there are these very tight knit communities and parts of it seem just wonderful. Parts of it seem like they would be annoying as hell. Yeah. It, you know, I think part of, those shows real, like based, based on reality and people's real life experiences. My mom was the elementary school librarian. Um, I had my older brother is just one grade ahead of me. So essentially my like social group spanned two, two years of people with, with the guys in his class and the friends in my class. And then my younger brother is five years younger than me. And so we had a really, deep network um, because we also played sports. And so uh, we expanded, I think, as far as we could within within our little town. Um, And yeah, you know everybody. You go to the grocery store and you run into somebody. Um, My parents were involved in church. So of course, that that gave us ties in the community. 
Uh, the high school was one of those high schools um, where I had a lot of people make fun of me in um, college because we were old school. We wore the football players. The girls wore the football players jerseys to school on Friday. <laughs> wow. Well, so one thing I wanted to tell me about sports, because uh, it seems like you mentioned, you know, you played a lot of sports as a kid. Like, was this just kind of hardwired into your family? Was just part of the DNA of how you were brought up? And, and like, what made you fall in love with sports? Yeah, well, my baseball career started when I was, uh, gosh, I think I was six. And I started keeping score uh, with my mom at my brother's, my older brother's baseball games. And just really, I played t-ball. That was the first uniform I wore was a t-ball uniform. I was the only girl on the boys team. And um, I definitely fell in love with the game. When you grow up in a small town, I think that you're, you're very lucky if you love sports and play sports because there's not much else to do. I mean, I had no neighbors. I, we lived on six and a half acres. Across the street was a, uh, a tree farm. And next door to me, my neighbor had uh, it was part of a forest reserve, had two horses and rescued animals. They had no children. Like we didn't, we didn't have like, um, I, I wasn't running down the street and, and playing with all the neighborhood kids. It was me and my brother. So we played basketball, um, until I got saddled hard enough on the court and quit. Um, we played running bases. I think I learned how to run fast because they chased me. You know, it was uh, it was something that we did for fun. And then that translated into competitive sports as I grew my talent and played travel soccer, played uh, and lettered in four different varsity sports in, in high school. And then when I went to college at U of I, I had intended to not play anything, but I went to walk on child's from soccer team and had the opportunity to to play with them for a little while and decided that, you know, I would stick with my original intention and, and try to study and expand my social network so that my career would be one that I was proud of. Yeah. Well, you, you mentioned that you're close enough to the city to have, you know, sort of this vision for it. I'm curious, is it the kind of town where literally people live there their whole lives and never go, go out, leave it? Yeah, for sure. There's a lot of people I went to high school with that still live in that town, which is amazing. And I see some of my my brother's classmates got married early and their children are now about to attend our high school, which is so wild to see these stories unfold. If, if I log into Facebook, I'm seeing people wearing their kids wearing our high school uniform. So I was that's that's very cool for them, and I love that for them and their happy families. But for me, that wasn't that wasn't the path I wanted. I wanted to see what else was out there, and going away to college, meeting people from different areas, uh, allowed me to get a job in the city after graduation, so that I could experience what I felt was was a a different, bigger, like more exciting life with with more things going on. Like I, I mean, I worked at sports and events for the majority of my career because I think I was bored a lot as a kid. I wanted to be in the action and that career path uh, afforded me that opportunity. Yeah. Well, you said it's not far from Chicago, right? I would say about hour and a half. So this is the thing I wonder that that's actually not that far. 
And I wonder how, you know, you're in this sort of bubble. Why is it that you could have a vision for something greater versus the people who decide that this is kind of it? I'm, I'm happy to be in this bubble. Not that either one is better or worse. I'm just curious, like, what is it do you think about your own experience um, beyond this need for action that shaped that perspective? Like, why is it that somebody would not see that possibility? Um, well, maybe for me, I think a lot of it is you have to have some type of curiosity or exposure or, um, temptation. Like my dad, uh, worked in construction. He did concrete repair. Uh, it was a superintendent of a company doing concrete repair in the city for 40 years. So my dad woke up at four in the morning every day and drove into the city and was home that night for dinner. And I think there was a little bit of mystery and intrigue to that as he spoke to us around the dinner table about his experiences from the day and what was happening downtown that I had this, this mystery and curiosity about what it would be like to get to go to the city every day. It was also the reason we didn't travel there much because he did it five days a week. And it was the last thing he wanted to do on the weekend was take his family. Um, so I think that might have been a piece of it. I also think it's, it's, it's a little bit in your, your DNA, like what you, what you want for yourself, what you envision for yourself. If you're a, a person who is seeking more. And I definitely think I was born that way, but I had a lot of hurdles in order to get there, considering that I was super shy, um, pretty sheltered and didn't have exposure to city careers. Like there was a lot that I needed to learn in order to get to that place, but. I did have an innate drive that pushed me to do the things that I needed to do in order to make that life a reality. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
Alright, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply. If rated PG. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember, folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Well, explain to me how somebody who, you know, your TED Talk said you were so shy to talk to a stranger that you couldn't even order a pizza when your mom handed you a phone book goes to being a person who sells season tickets for the Bulls, which I want to talk about, and then goes on to being the first GM of a AAA baseball team, which how in the world does that happen? Yeah. 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 Uh... Great question. And it truly the answer is just, it's one step at a time. And the, the old phrase, get comfortable being uncomfortable. Oh my gosh. I learned that very early and I've lived in it for a long time. I still live in it today. Like I get in situations that make me sweat constantly, but that's the only way that you can grow. So I was in, when I was in college, I studied advertising. I was dreaming of either working in sports, but I didn't even really know what that meant uh, because I had no exposure to the industry. I didn't even understand what a front office was. In fact, when I went to college, I was studying physical therapy because the only vision I had besides coaching was the people who ran out onto the field when there was an injury. Like I didn't know there was a whole group of or hundreds of people behind the scene making the event come to life. I had no clue. So I studied advertising. I got a job uh, offer from an advertising agency in the city. Uh, but a girl that I knew in college was working for the Chicago Bulls. And I reached out to her and I was like, what are you doing? How did you get that job? You know, what does that mean? Again, really employing that curiosity and being brave enough to ask the question. And she told me that the way to get into sports was through ticket sales, which I wanted to get into sports bad enough that I applied for a job that would have literally been my nightmare. Making 80 phone calls a day to sell tickets sounded terrible. My confidence was definitely not high enough at that point to to take on that job. And it made me nervous even talking about it. So I, um, because I, I had that relationship, I got my resume in front of the hiring manager, went to the city to interview. And I don't know if, if like, I don't think I 
faked it till I made it. I think I answered the questions in a way that demonstrated the person I wanted to become. So when he said, how comfortable are you making 80 phone calls a day? My answer was probably not at all, but I knew that was the job duty. So I said, I can absolutely learn how to do that. And that was, again, putting myself in a position where discomfort would help me learn and grow. In the sports industry, the way to climb the ladder in the front office is to understand how to drive revenue and value for the business. And understanding ticket sales was a great way for me to get my career started. Yeah, ticket sales are kind of the foundation of the entire business, aren't they? Totally. Uh, It's the lifeblood of the organization. You can't sell, you can't sell, you know, six-figure, seven-figure sponsorships if you have no fans in the stands. exactly. And you don't have a TV deal. So, yes, exactly. Yeah, I always joke that like my, my, you know, fuck you money dream would be to own an NBA basketball team. Like, yeah, that's the, one of my friends like, so that's what you would do with billions of dollars. I'm like, yeah, that's about the only thing I could think of that I need a billion dollars for. Um, because like, like I said, I'm completely just fascinated by the, the entire business of sports. Uh, you, you mentioned selling season tickets because the, the reason this struck me as interesting is when I was a freshman at Berkeley, the Golden State Warriors were the worst team in the NBA. Like they were like, it's hard for people to imagine this. You might be able to because given your background, but they were so bad that the they're literally students selling tickets on campus. We're talking season tickets on a tear out sheet for $60 for the entire season. And every day I thought to myself, someday somebody's going to take this team, turn it around, become really rich. I hope it's me, but it wasn't. And that prediction turned out to be true. But uh, what I'm really intrigued by is like, because when we think season tickets, I think the first image that comes to mind is, oh, these are people who are happy to talk to you, have a year from you, have a shit ton of money to spend. And um, talk to me about, you know, sort of the, the challenges of that. Like, what was difficult? Are there any memories that come to mind in particular that were really informative where you're like, oh, my God, I can't believe that happened. Or this person was a total jerk. Oh, my gosh. You have no idea. I mean, it's 80 phone calls a day for nine months. Like, you're not going to talk to gems every time you pick up the phone. And the lead list runs very thin uh, after you're, you've been doing the job for several months. So you start with season ticket inquiries. So people who've said like, hey, I'm interested in learning more about this, like, give me a call. Those are great calls to have. You talk to them about the benefits. You talk to them about usage and, you know, all the great reasons why they should become a season ticket holder. The funny part for me, I really remember is like, I was a totally broke, like no freaking money. And I'm asking people for a sale of like $5,000 a seat. So if you're getting good good seats, like I'm asking you for your credit card for a charge that's over $20,000, which for me, like I couldn't even imagine because I have no money. So that's one of the, one of the like foundational pieces I remember early on is like, wrapping my head around like these are not my finances these are the these this is money from this law firm and if i understand the use case for these tickets you know here's why this makes sense but i had trouble asking for the sale initially because it felt like too much money to me uh so that that was interesting but then as we got farther along the leads at the bottom on the barrel are they're called merch leads so 
you know, I'm sure it's more sophisticated today than it was 15 years ago, but you're, you're at the bottom of the barrel where these people have literally bought apparel for the bulls and you have their information. So they bought a $20 shirt and you're asking them to buy season tickets. So <laughs> definitely got laughed at and hung up on multiple times uh, from those phone calls. And, you know, that's where we would kind of develop the thick skin. And, and I also think, you know, having the community, there's a bunch of other people doing the same job around me. So being able to share with them, like, oh my gosh, you won't believe this person I just talked to, or I hear someone in the cube down the way just shout out the word next, because that's what we yell when we just had the worst call ever. Like you would just next and, and move on to your next activity. Uh, because you couldn't, you couldn't fester on the crappy call. Like you had to get back on the horse and try again. Yeah. Well, you know, one other thing you mentioned was that, you know, behind the scenes of what we see on TV, for example, or what the fans witness in the stands, there are like hundreds of people who make all this happen. Um, I'm curious, what is the, the sort of operation of any sports team look like? What is go- like, because I think all we see are like, hey, look, it's Michael Jordan making a dunk. Cool. Okay. You know, and like this fancy arena. But I know there's it, it's way more intricate than, th- intricate than that. Totally. So depending on uh, the the team or the size of the team or the league that they're in, you know, in AAA baseball, you might have between 30 to 50 front office personnel. Uh, at an NBA team like the Bulls, you might have 200. Um, and they're, the different departments include marketing. Uh, they include ticket sales. They include uh, game and event operations. Uh, it could include community, um, sponsorship sales ticket sales. And all of those departments have people like doing the job. Then they have a department head or a director or a VP. And then they're reporting up to a leadership team. And then ultimately the president who reports to to the owner. And um, if you think about it, I could speak for, for minor league baseball. It is, in my in my opinion, a miracle that we can put on 70 home games a year, like day after day after day, you're putting on an event for thousands of people to come to your stadium and have this experience. So you have, uh, then you have your game day staff. So the people that you hire have on an hourly wage to um, do security. Uh, you've got ushers, you have um, third party or in-house concessionaires. So you have all the people that are working the concessions. You have the concession stand manager. Then you have um, game day entertainment. So you have your host, you have your control room where people are controlling all the messages that go on the video board. They have the run of show for any games or contests or performances that are going to happen um, in during in between innings or let's say halftime. So it is it is like a putting on a circus every single night and that's just game day, like year round, you're selling tickets, you're selling sponsorships, you're ordering what needs to be ordered for the team store, you're updating your website. I mean, it is, you're communicating to your fans constantly through your newsletters, you're updating your social channels. It is constant. And I will also say for baseball, specifically in AAA, like with our affiliation, we had um, over 200 transactions per season. So that's players moving up and down between us and our major league affiliate. 
So the news is constant between press releases and what you're putting on social. And then you have a game every night. So you want to put those highlights up. It is, it is bananas and it is, it's a miracle and it's super fun to see it all come together. And it's all for, you know, the fulfillment of the dream for these players and entertainment for your fans and supporters. Yeah. Well, I want to come back to, to AAA in general and in your role there. But what I want to talk about is the fact this is a, a largely male dominated industry, isn't it? It is. Yes. Like sports in general. So talk to me about a couple of different things. One is overcoming gender biases in this industry. Your experiences with that. What are they? How prevalent are they? Um, and you know, what challenges or obstacles did you as a woman who has risen in the ranks in this industry face? Yeah. So, um, in the sports industry, it is only 30% female at management level and above. So there's still a lot of work to be done, um, at, at the top. And I really believe in that saying, you can't be what you can't see. And I don't mean to like give people a pass, but I always give people the benefit of the doubt. Like if you haven't seen a female leader in one of these roles, like you might make an assumption based on what you have seen in the past. So I, you know, for me, I um, was often seen as or misunderstood to be a player's wife, um, often thought to be a, uh, a cheerleader or um, someone who is running marketing or like works in the team store, you know, very no offense to anybody who's in those roles. I oversaw all those roles and know how critical they are to the organization. Um, but those are what you would think traditionally like a female would occupy. And that's what people generally thought I did. So what I did to, to combat, uh, those gender biases was, um, actually my boss gave me this piece of advice, uh, because I, he saw over and over, he didn't understand like, he was, he was great that he hired me for what I could do for the team. And I don't think he understood like some of the challenges that I, I would face, like being a woman in the role. He was just like, Oh, you can do the job, you know, that ends here. Um, but after he saw me being misunderstood over and over again, he was like, you should use your business card more often. And I thought, all right, well, what can I do with that information? So, um, what I would do is carry business cards around with me. And when I was meeting somebody new, before they had a chance to assume who I was, I would grab a business card, throw it out in front of them and tell them, hey, I'm Emily, I'm the GM of this team. And I was often met with like wide-eyed surprise, um, you know, and, and then sometimes we'd go into conversations that were like ridiculous that you'd probably never ask a guy like, oh, do you have children? Are you married? Who is at home with the kids? no one would ask a dude that question, but it happened to me all the time. And again, I would say that like, I would just use that as an opportunity to, uh, you know, maybe make a different impression and show them that like a woman could be in this role and they shouldn't be so surprised in the future. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. 
Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Life is full of awesome what-ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Well, what I wonder is, you know, how this impacts your relationships within the organization, whether it's with players, with coaches and sort of your interactions with them and how it contrasts uh, to a male. And like, what is the GM's involvement with players? Like, like I, I assume it's pretty deep. Yeah. So the, the parent club, the MLB club is handling players from top to bottom. So from MLB club to single A baseball, they are determining which player is playing on what team and in what position and for how long and where they are moving. They are the puppeteers of the entire organization that the, they're paying payroll. And those are their assets. They're moving them around. However, as a GM at the AAA level, my role was to make sure that it all happened smoothly and that the players were well taken care of and that they had 
everything that they needed from our facility and from our club. So what I mean by that is you play games back to back to back. So they could be in Reno and the next day they have a game in El Paso. So they finish the game in Reno at 11. They have a game the next morning in El Paso. They are getting packed up by the clubby at midnight and taking the first flight out in the morning to get to Texas. All their stuff has to be packed. They need to have everything that is required to to get to the flight, to get to their next game. So I've got people on my team that are arranging transportation, that are buying the flights, that are checking them in early, that are getting their tickets ready so that it's the smoothest possible uh, transportation. Also having to do with the uniforms, like what they have. I'm talking to our manager on a daily basis. What do you guys need? How's it going? Can we use the players for X, Y, or Z? We have a visit at the Ronald McDonald house. Who's available to go and at what time? Um, it is, it is a constant conversation. And I would say that's what my superpower was in that role is that I, I know how to, take care of people. And I knew how to do it in a way that was never going to be a detriment to our bottom line. It was going to be resourceful use of our budget, but also take care of all of the needs of the team. And that happens through dialogue. And if you don't have that continuous dialogue with with your team, with their manager, with your peer club, like you're toast. So we, uh, we had a very strong relationship, still do with the Arizona Diamondbacks. And I think a lot of that is due to the fact that, you know, we, we take care of those guys and that is a major priority. So my sort of only experience with what you're describing is the Dennis Quaid movie, The Rookie. I, I'm guessing you've probably seen that given what yeah. you do for work. So one of the things I wonder about, I mean, it, from what I gather, it sounds like AAA is kind of the feeder to the major leagues. And for so many of these young guys, like I'm assuming like this has been the defining thing in their life is getting to the major league. So it sounds to me like part of your job is to play therapist to a degree. Uh, what happens when somebody basically spent their entire life, like in your experience, from the perspective of somebody who is a GM, because I've asked players about this, like... You've had the, the, somebody who does this for their entire life and is headed down that track. This has been a defining part of their identity for so long. And when that dream disappears, like I'm guessing not everybody makes it to the majors. No. So what happens in those moments? Like how do they navigate this? Like do, is the, does AAA even become an endpoint for some people? Yeah, it often becomes an end, end point for some people. It becomes like a resting place for their career. You're either in AAA because you're winding down or you're in AAA because you're winding up and they're preparing you for the big league club. Like it's the last stop uh, in most cases before you get your call up to the major league. So I've seen it on both ends. I've seen uh, players literally have their dream come true in Reno. Like they get their first call up uh, sometimes in the middle of the game, in the seventh inning, and they're getting on a flight to get to Arizona, it is, it is wild. And what I always wanted in those moments for our fans, because that's the unique thing about minor league baseball and AAA specifically, it's like you don't have a set roster. Your fan could be in love with a guy and he's gone tomorrow because he's, he's with the D-backs. So, um, I wanted to create a culture in a fandom where you celebrated those moments. 
Reno is a place where your dreams can come true and where you can, it can be the final stop in your minor league baseball career before you get your call up. And that's something we should celebrate, not think, oh, man, that stinks for us because that guy was so good. Like he's here because he's waiting to get called up to major league baseball. And what you get to do as a fan is see that happen. So that's, um, that's a very exciting moment. And I think that came to fruition so many times. As I mentioned before, there were 200 transactions a season. Um, on the flip side, you know, if your career is winding down, I wanted Reno to be a place where you felt like cherished and supported. So some of the guys who were AAA guys for, for life, you know, that was going to be their their role is essentially it's like practice squad for uh for the guys that are going to get their call up. Um I wanted those guys to feel beloved by the fans and we did our best to make that happen. So it was again a bright spot in their career rather than just the end point. Yeah. So so does, from what I'm getting at this doesn't sound like it works like the NFL where you have a draft from college is is the AAA, like, do people get drafted directly from college to the MLB or is kind of, is this kind of like one of the, the steps on the path? So it's all one. So minor league baseball is, is major league baseball. Like they're tied uniquely together. Think of it like the rungs of the ladder, like single A, low A, high A, double A, triple A, major league baseball. And all of those levels are part of one team. So the D-backs have 200 guys on their roster from MLB club all the way down to, to single A, to low A. And what you're doing as a player is you're climbing that ladder. So scouts and recruiters and their farm directors are finding talent to populate that 200 or so player roster and find who fits the best where ultimately to make the best team for the major league club. and. All those guys are on the major league club's payroll. It's, it is all one unit and it starts with, yeah, a draft. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things that you said in your TED talk is that research tells us that in order to get people to change, you need to start with the attitudes, not with the attitudes, but the behaviors associated with those attitudes. When people can see themselves behaving differently, they then begin to act differently. I want to ask you about this in the context of both your own experience in your career and your life, but also like how that concept impacts the difference between the people who do end up making it and the ones who don't. Yeah. I mean, this behavior changes attitudes. So you, you'll, you will have heard it in the story I've been telling this whole recording. Like I didn't start out as this person, but I made a decision to behave in a certain way that would allow me to develop a a different, in my opinion, more elevated attitude. I wanted to become a person with more confidence. So I behaved like a person with more confidence. If you want to become a big league player, you got to behave like a big league player and emulate those actions. Uh, be observant, be curious. Don't be so into your own ego that you cannot see what you should be doing, how you could be giving 1% more or 10% more or setting your your goals 10x versus 2x. Like, what do you need to do in order to get to where you need to go? And a lot, like 
basically every single time, you cannot do the same thing you've always done and expect different results. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, because, you know, I'm completely obsessed with, I think this is why I'm fascinated by athletes in general, uh, particularly pro athletes, because of sort of the sheer level of, of human performance that is involved. Uh, and yeah, I have a, a one, one year old nephew. He's like one year and three months. And my sister got him a little basketball hoop for Christmas. So she's finally throwing, teaching him how to throw baskets and he was making them. And she kept inching the, the hoop like further and further back. And apparently he goes apeshit when he misses. Like he gets really <laughs> mad. I was like, dude, you're acting like we're on our test. You can't do this. Um, <laughs> but it, it was just a really interesting moment. Like, okay, this is actually an interesting moment of like, buddy, you got to be okay with the fact that you're not going to make every shot. Um, yeah. But, and he, of course, being the genius that he is, after like a few minutes, he basically looked at my sister and he just pulled the hoop closer to him and put the ball in. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think that that's what I'm so intrigued by because like this is one of those situations where your odds are pretty stacked against you from the start, aren't they? Wow. Yeah. I mean, think of all the little league players there are in this country and only a teeny tiny percentage of those kids are going to make it. But every single one of those kids' parents thinks that they're going to be the next great thing. So, um, yeah, I mean, baseball is, baseball is like a a tough one because I I do think that a lot of it, it depends on, you know, a little bit of genetics. Like it, it, there are some anomalies in there. Um, we definitely have to work hard, um, but there's there's definitely some anatomy that is going to help you get to the next level, um, whether there's something special with your arm, whether it's your height, whether it's your speed, um, whether it's your hitting prowess, I mean, your power. Um, there, There's things that make professional athletes very special, um, but I think that there's also an opportunity for any of us to, you know, maybe we're not going to be a major league baseball player, but we can achieve a little bit more. And when we do that, and the reason I push for that is that you can live a bigger, happier, more fulfilled life when you are pushing for more, when you are succeeding, when you're not looking at a trip to Italy as, as something you could never do because you could never afford it, but you're setting uh, income goals that are going to allow you to afford that trip in the future. When you feel like, man, it would be nice if, if like I could easily climb the stairs without getting out of breath. And you think, oh, you know what I should do? I should challenge myself to run my first 5k. And you set up, you sign up for a race and you complete a program and you complete the race. And then you get to the top of those stairs and you realize, man, a couple of months ago, I couldn't even climb these without getting winded. And now I have this metal on my desk. Like, look, look at the human potential. Look at what I can achieve if I set a goal and set my mind to it. You know, that makes us happier. It makes us more fulfilled. It, it shows us that humans are very uniquely positioned to create their own realities, to create the life that they want. And I think that is very exciting, whether you're going to become the next uh, great player or you're just going to elevate your own life. We all have that potential inside of us to do so if we decide to, if we start to do the behaviors that change our attitudes, if we then set the goals that put us on the path full of intention to do the things that we set out to do. I mean, it's, it's, it's all available to you if you, if you want it. 
it, I think this whole idea that your your behavior can actually change the attitude it, it all makes a lot of sense. It's very in line with James Clear's concepts of atomic habits, like and you know habits basically creating identity. Um, because like you know he used to talk about that he himself was a baseball player, but I remember when I read that book, like when I would talk to uh, aspiring writers, they would be like, I you know want to write a book, and I'm like, well, you know what? Start by opening a notebook every day. I was like, yeah. because you have to build the identity of a writer. And, and I said, don't even try to write. And I said, eventually, the you know, inertia kicks in. You're like, I open this stupid notebook every day. I might as well write something. And I was amazed, like, how quickly I was able, like, I, I was like, okay, what does a professional writer write every day? And for me, that was a thousand words. And six months after I self-published Wall Street Journal bestseller, two years after the habit led to a book deal. Um, and I realized, like, you know, the link between behavior and identity is so strong. Oh. Absolutely. You can't have the dream. And if you do, if you have the dream, and you don't take action. It's never going to happen. I, my first book is coming out this spring. Let's go. Guys, increasing your confidence is the name. I'm sure you could have guessed that. It's very in line with everything we've been talking about today. And people are like, wow, that's amazing. You wrote a book. I've always wanted to do that. I was like, well, have you written anything at all? And the answer is generally no. And my response is like, well, if that is truly a goal that you want to do, you have to actually start writing, Yeah. right? Like if you want to run a marathon, you actually have to start running or even start walking. I mean, you have to do something. You have to do the behavior to get to the goal. And it's it's remarkable to me uh, how humans can often dream big, but take no action. No. Yeah, I mean, I it, it's funny because I it, I had a, a post on my blog titled "Why Outcome Based Goals Are a Recipe for Failure." Like, th- there's an irony to that. Like, I remember when I had the the irony of my whole book deal was like, really, how did it happen? I was like, I gave up on getting a book deal. <laughs> That's how it I happened. Think, yeah, yeah. I just had a conversation about this the other day. Like, I'm I I preach and I teach goal setting and why you should do it, how you should do it, uh, encompassing your your entire life, full man work. But I also talk a lot about how much is gained in, in chasing a goal, even when you don't make it, right? Like you learn something about yourself. Uh, you learn something about that goal, whether it serves you or it doesn't, or if it puts you on a different path. So it is okay to have a goal and let it go on the journey if it's no longer serving you, as long as you reflect back and think, man, you know, what did I learn in this process and where do I want to go next? So it's not being a quitter. In this case, I think there's, you know, a lot of of, uh, information on this topic, but it's kind of quitting to win in that case. Like if you're running up against a wall over and over and over again, you got to find a different different way to get around it, right? Is there another door? Is there a window you got to climb over? You got to run around like, Going in a singular direction at an outcome-based goal, as as you described, like you have to leave yourself open uh, to to finding essentially unique ways to get there. In your case, you could have chased getting a book deal for ten years, and you would never have had a book written. You found a different way to do it, got it out there, and then ultimately got to your goal. But you just were on a different path. Yeah, I think that that also raises the question of like, maybe you should set a different goal too, which a lot of people get stubborn about. That is a whole other thing. Like Annie Duke wrote an excellent book on um, the role of quitting and how important it is. Like that, you know, that there are times when it absolutely makes sense to quit. Yeah, I I totally agree. And 
I'll tell you that when I do keynotes and we discuss goal setting and, you know, we talk about that and so many people are hesitant to set a goal in the first place because they're afraid they're not going to reach it. And they will often ask me questions at the end in that Q&A section like, man, you know, there's this thing that I really want to do, but I just don't, I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I can get there. And we talk, we then sort of dissect that into thinking like, all right, let's talk about the fear of goal setting, like why you have that. Um, is this a sign that that goal is not serving you or is it a sign that you should attack it and then discover what is really the right uh, goal for you to have in mind? So I, I don't think that when you write something down, when you, when you set a goal, that it's chiseled in stone. Like they have to be a little bit malleable and it's not to take it out. It's to remain true to who it is that you want to become. I think not who you are today, but who it is that you want to become. Yeah. Well, you know, one other question I have about this, we have a lot of uh, parents who are listening to this and particularly for those who have daughters, I'm really curious, like what your advice is to, uh, you know, younger children, like school age children, when it comes to, you know, women navigating male dominated fields. Yeah. Uh, Serena, this is such a multi-dimensional question. There's so many ways to go. It's very, very hard to raise children um, in today's world for a lot of reasons. Um, but what I will talk about is one very simple takeaway that parents can give to their daughters. Um, and it's just the phrase, why not you? And I can't tell you how many times I use this phrase over and over and over again. I mean, self-doubt creeps in always. Uh, confidence can waver. I, I talk on, I speak on confidence. I write on confidence. I give keynotes on confidence, but my confidence isn't always a 10 out of 10. It can waver. And that's, that's whenever we go outside of our comfort zone. And so my little hack in those instances is thinking, why not me? Right. We're all just people. You know, you were just a, a guy who kept going after his dream and then ended up writing a bestseller because you you put in the work. And if you had sat there and compared yourself to every other person who was a bestseller and think, oh, they can do that and not me. You know, my question is like, is why not you? Why not you? And that has gotten me through so many different situations. Like being a woman in a male dominated field, I thought, why not me? I can set the path forward. Then somebody has someone to look at and think, oh, she did it. Why not me? And it just continues to cascade to the next person. So having that in your your back pocket, let's say you're a high school girl and uh, you're in, in the finals in your soccer game and it goes to a shootout and you're up to take the PK, like, why not you? Why can't you be the one who makes it? No. Rather than dwelling on the, oh my gosh, what if I miss? What if I miss? shifted over to why not you? I'm glad you brought up high school because I wanted to finish uh, with talking about education in particular in this context of, you know, women in male dominated fields in our educational system. Like what do you think we're missing and what do you think we should be teaching both not just to female students, but to male students as well? Yeah, I think more exposure to careers is so necessary. I mean, the fact that you leave high school and you have to pick a major sure. at 18 that you're going to study and then potentially apply for the 
rest of your life is ludicrous. And (laughs) kids do not not have the exposure to what different careers look like. I always dreamed when I was uh, in my 20s, I I wish I could get a reality show that was called like, Emily does this job for a week or two weeks or whatever. And I go in and, you know, you name a career and you plot me into their office or their field or whatever. And I am just like asking questions. I'm walking around. I'm, I'm showing them, you know, that I'm trying to do these things and I'm giving, just giving people exposure to these, what different careers look like. I mean, even when you're filling out your college application, you're like, I don't even know if I studied economics, like, what kind of job do I have? I have no clue. This is a topic, not mm-hmm. a career. So, you know, that is, is very, very challenging. And so what I would tell kids, what I would tell parents is like, get curious, have those conversations early. Talk about, you know, don't leave what do I want to be when I grow up a fireman and just leave that as the answer from a first grader. And like never talk about it again. And then, you know, your kid winds up working in real estate, right? Like we have to continue these conversations, get exposure, internships, mentorship, even just do your own research, like look it up online and see what people are doing, follow their careers and try to understand what you like and what that might mean for you in the future. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because I, I've always thought that, you know, the what do you want to be when you grow up question is absolutely ludicrous. I was like, how are you asking a five-year-old how they want to spend the rest of their life yeah. when they've lived yeah. a fraction of it? I don't know if you've read uh, Range by David Epstein. Um, I've had him here as a guest, but one of the things he said was that we underestimate future change at every point in our life. And he said that when you're asking young students to choose a major at age 18, you're basically asking them to choose for a person they don't know and yes. a person that they can't predict what that person will be like, Um, which it is mind boggling to me because I, I do think that like I thought about that as like, wow, I do nothing related to what I studied in college. And it was one of those things like I look back now and it's like, this is one of the fatal flaws in how we educate. Like we are basically trying to pigeonhole people mm-hmm. from the moment they set foot in college. And, you know, I would, um, I'd probably, depending on the person, give the advice to study something that you enjoy so that you can succeed in school. Like so that you want to go to class, so that you want to read the material, something that's interesting to you that piques your curiosity it is such now looking back, you know, at, at four years old, I'm like, man, I, I got to, I got to attend all these classes on all these interesting topics. And looking back today, like I'm way more interested in reading and studying than I was at that age. So if you can get into school, if you want to get your degree and you're like pursue something that's curious, because I will tell you that my career path is non-linear. I found a way to tie all the strings together and make it work out as beautifully as I could. But just because you do one thing doesn't mean that that's what you do forever. And when I left the Chicago Bulls back at the beginning of my career, I, I moved on from them and went to work at a large nonprofit agency in the city. And I did event planning. I sold sponsorships. I drew, I, you know, in this, in the same tone, like I, was in sales and I made a lot of money for a nonprofit organization. But when I left the Bulls, my boss said, if you leave sports, you're never going to get back in. 
And I was like, I just don't believe that's true. And it was not true for me. I went back to work in sports later. Uh, but for me, that experience I got that was outside of the industry is in, was invaluable to the progression of my career. So I would also say to those kids and those people earlier in their career, like, don't be so afraid to make a move. Like, you can always get another job. You can network your way into it. You can apply for it. You can move. You can do whatever it is you need to do to find something that suits the future version of yourself. So don't feel pigeonholed that just because, you, for me, just because I studied advertising didn't mean I took a job in an ad agency. I worked in sports. Well, this has been absolutely fascinating. Uh, so I have one final question for you, which is how we finish all of our interviews at the Unmistakable Creative. What do you think it is that makes somebody do something unmistakable? What do I think that makes someone unmistakable? So I have a, a little quote, uh, be so good, they won't forget you. Um, a little bit adapted from what Steve Martin said, but what be so good, they won't forget you means is that you show up in a way that is bold, that is you, that is something that feels great, something that leaves an impression. Don't be forgettable. Be someone, be so good they won't forget you. Show up full on 110% every chance you get because this world is full of opportunities for those who are willing to give extra effort. Mm, beautiful. Well, uh, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us and share your story, your wisdom, and your insights with our listeners. Where can people find out more about you, your work, uh, and everything else you're up to? Sure. I love that. Thanks for asking. So my website is my first and last name, Emily, J-A-E-N-S-O-N.com, EmilyJanson.com. I can find me most active on Instagram, um, and I'm also on LinkedIn under my name, Emily Jansen. Uh, my podcast is called Leadership is Female for all the uh, the women and 30% of male listeners out there um, who are listening. It is um, an interview show for female executives and uh, women who have really made a name for themselves. And there is just so much to learn no matter uh, how you identify. And uh, my book comes out this spring, Let's Go, A Guide to Increasing Your Confidence. You can find more about that on my website. Amazing. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. Hold up, what was that? Boring, no flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? 
Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch, the skills that are essential for standing out and thriving no matter how much technology evolves. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.